0: Oh, goodness. Well, I'm glad somebody's here. You know, it's Daylight Savings Time. I was, I was worried, you know, maybe that we'd have three people. So, so thanks for being here. Um, you know, we've got iPhones now, right? To, to remind us, but I want you to know, okay. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but one Daylight Savings Time. Okay. My iPhone did not change. It's because we kind of live out and it didn't get signal or something, but it didn't change, but I had set two alarms and that's why I still Always set two alarms on daylight savings time. How many of you all are awake? Okay, very good, very good. Um, in our study in the Gospel of Luke, which we're in right now, okay, we see that Jesus is being revealed to the readers, event by event, right? Miracle by miracle, teaching by teaching, element by element. Uh, last week in chapter seven, we learned that Jesus, the Messiah, had power over life and death, could raise people from the dead. And uh, John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus said this to them in in Luke chapter 7, verse 22 through 23. He said, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, Uh, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And I pointed out to you that that's almost exactly taken from the passage from Isaiah that he read in the synagogue in Nazareth when he said this is fulfilled in your hearing. That's, those are the things that the Messiah does. So go tell John. Go tell John. Last week in a parable Jesus taught, he taught us the difference between religious piety and this posture of, of love and gratitude. He said, those who have been forgiven much, what? Remember? Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Okay, And we have been forgiven much. Therefore, our response is not spiritual pride. Not spiritual pride, but love. Love and gratitude all smushed up together. And all around. So his point was this. All of us. Have been forgiven much, okay? Not just the Simon's, like in the parable, Simon who was the Pharisee. Not just the Simon's, but everything between the woman, okay, and Simon. We've all been forgiven much. Some of us are more aware of that than others, <laughs> but we've all been forgiven much. So we should we should be overflowing with gratitude to God. I gave you an assignment last week. I don't, how many of you all did it? Any of you do it? It's okay. There's no test. It's okay. But it was not an exercise in shame and guilt, you know, plowing up your sins and all of that. But it was a way to remind us, okay, of just how much we have been forgiven, right? To remind us just how much we have been forgiven. I told you that I have been forgiven much, much. We have been forgiven much, therefore we should love much. We should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should love our neighbor as ourselves. We should love each other like Jesus loved us. That was his command to us. But we should also love people that don't even know God. They don't even believe in God. Jesus said, even evil and ungrateful men. Jesus said, be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. This week, chapter 8 is full indeed, so I'm going to get started. We have two parables, a miraculous stilling of the storm, a demonic exorcism, a woman uh, who is healed of a 12-year hemorrhage, and someone's precious 12-year-old daughter is raised from the dead by Jesus. And chapter 8 kind of starts off with some business keeping. Verse 1 2 kind of gives us an update on the general how goes it with Jesus and the 12 and the ministry. It tells us about some people who have been impacted by his ministry and been involved with his ministry, even down to the nitty-gritty business matters, such as individuals who have contributed their personal means and resources to support Jesus, his message, and his ministry. It reads like this. Listen to the first three verses. It's gonna be up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to chapter eight of Luke. So soon afterwards uh, he began going around from one city and village to another proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also, listen, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary who was called Magdalene, so here we are introduced to Mary Magdalene. We've all heard of Mary from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing of their support out of their private means. So, you see what I'm talking about. Um, we don't often hear about business matters, you know, when it comes to Jesus and the guys. We just don't. But that's what that is, okay? That's what that is. But I guess they had to pay the bills like everybody else did, right? They had to pay the bills. There were. 12, 13 people, they had to have enough for 13 people that were constantly on the move, food and supplies. And not to mention, they also shared a lot, giving to the poor and the needy all along the way. So they had to have resources to do that. So Joanna, who's the wife of Chusa, that appears to be some sort of a manager for King Herod in the palace or something, and Suzanne and many others were contributing to the support of Jesus and the 12 out of their private means and resources jesus and the 12 even had a treasurer dave even had a treasurer. who was the treasurer do you all remember judas Judas. yeah judas iscariot um but when i read that it sounds a lot like what we do here at good news church you know because because we all contribute we've got our offering towers back there we all contribute to the ministry of the church and some of the very important things that we do here our youth ministry um, our children's ministry that's going on right now, the ladies' Bible study groups, and the men's Bible study groups, the men's... All these different things that we have, okay? We all go together to give to those things. And not just those things, but 10% of everything you give. $1 of every $10 you give to this church goes somewhere else. It goes to missions and mercy, either to some mission, missionary or mission project or to a benevolence here in town, like First Baptist um, Women's Center and stuff like that. of everything we have goes out. So moving right along, verse 4 says, When a large crowd was coming together, those from the various cities were journeying to him, him being Jesus. He spoke by way of a parable. So here comes a parable, another parable. This sentence introduces one of the most iconic, well-known parables of Jesus. This parable ranks right up there with the Good Samaritan and the parable of the um, talents, which are very, very well known. It is known by a couple of names, the parable of the soils and the parable of the what? The sower, the parable of the sower, parable of the sower. And, and it's, it's about both of those things, but it's known by those two names. One way this parable stands out though, among the other parables of Jesus, is Jesus doesn't always explain the parable in detail, like he does right here, in this parable. Usually, he'll just kind of let the parable stand on its own, and then at the end, he'll add some point or principle um, at the end of the parable, like he does in the Good Samaritan. If you remember, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus, after he tells the parable, he turns to the disciples, and he says, which one of these proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the disciples give the right answer. They say, the one who showed mercy, or the one who showed compassion. And Jesus concludes, go and do the same. Remember? that's very typical for Jesus parables okay this parable of the soils stands out in that way it's different jesus tells the parable in its entirety to the disciples and they question him about the meaning so jesus goes back he goes back through the parable labeling and describing almost every element of the story he starts with the seeds which are the word of god and then he labels each and every soil what it represents what happened to the seeds, and why, and why. So listen for that. What I just told you, listen for that as I read verses 5 through 15 of the parable. Follow along with me. And it starts in a way that you, you, you will recognize, I'm sure. It says, The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky soil. As soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. So it wasn't just rocky. It was dry. It was dry. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great, or a hundredfold, some translations say And he said these things, as he said these things, he would cry out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, that's something we can say every Sunday, right, when it comes to the reading of the scripture. Lord, help us to understand what it is you're trying to say. Who has ears, who can understand, hear this and understand it. His disciples began questioning him as to what the parable meant. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In other words, I'm going to explain this to you. It's been granted to you. You're going to know what this means. But to the rest, it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. It's not a negative thing. It's just saying some people are going to get it. right? They may get it, and some people may not get it in the parable. But he's going to explain it. He said, now the parable is this, and he explains it to them. (laughs) The seed is the word of what? The word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes, them, takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. If there's one thing the devil wants, is he, wants to, he doesn't want us to be saved, right? He wants to take the word away from us. He doesn't want us to have a relationship with Jesus. Verse 13, those on rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. It doesn't take root. They believe for a while, sort of, and in time, that by, because of temptation, they fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and they go their way, and they are choked out by the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life. Distracted, distracted. And they bring no fruit to maturity. In other words, they don't become what they're supposed to be. Verse 15, here it is, the good soil. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast. And hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. It takes root and it bears fruit. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that these words today would bear fruit in us. We're the soil. God, we pray that the seeds that you plant in us through your scripture and through uh, your Holy Spirit, that you would bring them to fruition, mature fruit in our lives. Help us to be all that you have called us to be and all that you want us to be, that we might bear fruit and that other people would become Christians because they see the light that shines in us. We pray for that. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. In your name, Jesus. Amen. On a personal note, as a pastor, one of the things that I learned from this parable is that I have way more control over the seed than I do over the soil. Right? Way more. I work really hard, I know you know this, to try and deliver the word of God in a way that can be heard and understood. I really try hard with that. But I have very little control over who and how it is received. It's just the way it is that is not meant to be a negative thing or discouraging. It just means that you and I need to keep on keeping on. We need to keep on sowing the seed, keep on planting the seed all the more. We do have some control over that, right? God will bring the growth if we will be faithful in the sowing. God will bring the growth. That very point is accentuated and emphasized in the next three verses with the parable of the lamp. Jesus says this in verse 16. I've got a little ring going on there. Now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it up on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. May see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. Sometimes people misinterpret um, this passage. They think, oh, this is about money. It's not about money. This is about what Jesus just said. This is my opinion, but it's a good opinion. When he's talking about the light, when he's talking about what is hidden and what comes to light, he's talking about what he just said in the parable of the sower. It's important. So he says, take care how you listen. What I just said. If you have ears to hear, let him hear. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. In other words, whatever you pull from this and the fruit that you bear, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Like the birds pulled it away and took it away. Or it got choked out by by the riches and by worries. So that's what happens. So it's pretty clear... We have the light, right? We have the good news of Jesus Christ. We know who he is, right? Somebody say amen. We know who Jesus is. We know why he came. We, We know the good news. So we need to keep on keeping on. We need to keep sowing the seed and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And again, like last week, there's a counterpoint to this passage in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount in chapter five. It's verses 13 through 16. And just paraphrase basically here. It says, you're the salt of the earth, right? You're the light of the what? You're the light of the world. No one hides their light under a basket, but on a lampstand. It's very similar to what's in Luke here. To give light to all in the house. To give light to all in the house. And then Matthew 5:16, he says this. Let your light shine. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That has to do with the sowing, letting our light shine, letting people see Christ in us. It's so important to keep on sowing and keep on planting. God will bring the growth. Verses 19 through 21 says, And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. Jesus, if you'll notice, has crowd control problems. Did you notice that? Jesus has crowd control problems, right? And they reported to him that your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these, the people that are around him, who hear the word of God and do it. Who hear the word of God and do it. This is about Jesus' mother and his brothers. Did you know that a lot of folks don't know that Jesus had brothers? Did you know Jesus had brothers? Raise your hand if you knew that. Okay. A lot of folks don't know that. But there's evidence of it in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts. Actually, in the second, about the second century, they think this is when this started. A doctrine came out of the early church, the early Catholic Church, called the perpetual virginity of Mary. The perpetual virginity of Mary. That means that uh, Mary always... She had her virginity. She never lost her virginity, so that was that'd be kind of a bad thing for Joseph, right? Just getting right. I'm just saying, right? Right. So that was rough on their marriage, I would think. So the more widely accepted understanding that we have is what we find in the Gospels, and specifically in Matthew and Luke, in the Christmas narratives, that Joseph kept Mary a virgin until what? The birth of Jesus. That Mary remained a virgin until the birth of Jesus. After that. She bore children with Joseph, just like a normal relationship. That's the more biblical view, right? That's the more biblical view. Um, listen to verses 19 through 21 as I read. Oh, well, I already read that, didn't I? I jumped ahead. Sorry. This is live TV, right? All right. But he says this. Jesus is not being snippy here, okay? He loves his mother, and he cared about his brothers, Right? But he's obviously making a point here that the more important bond okay, that we share is what we share as believers. Do you hear what I'm saying? He loves his mom. He loves his brother. But he's making the point that the more important bond we share is as believers. We are related as brothers and sisters because we hear the word of God and what? We do it. We do it. Have you ever heard the saying that blood is thicker than water? Okay. What Jesus is saying is here is faith is thicker than blood. The fact that we are a church family and what we believe, that relationship is just as important or more important than our relationships that we even have with our own family. That is the more important bond, and that's the point that Jesus is making there in those verses. In the next four verses, Luke fortifies and confirms what he already learned in chapter five. When Peter, James, and John caught the mother load of fish, you remember that? In Capernaum, they caught the mother load of fish, they dropped everything, their nets and everything, and they followed Jesus to become fishers of men. And what we learned there, what we learned there is that Jesus has power and authority over nature. You remember that? Remember I made the joke about Aquaman, right? Right? Commands the fish, right? And that's Jesus, right? Maybe that's where Marvel got the idea. This right here makes that point, but it's the story of the stilling of the storm. Try and say that three times fast. The story of the stilling of the storm. Or the stilling of the storm story. Either way, it's hard to say. It's hard to say, but I love it. And it can be found in three of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the synoptic Gospels, not in John. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In this account uh, of Luke, the storm is so bad that the fear, it puts the fear of death into, into the disciples. It puts the fear of death. I mean, they think this is it. They think it's over, they think they're gonna die. And where is Jesus? He's asleep. Something I learned from this is that Jesus can really sleep. He is a sound sleeper, like some of my grandchildren. I mean, he can just sleep through anything. John's son was in here, was it, um, the other day, and he, he just slept through everything. So Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. And then the disciples, I mean, they're afraid they're gonna die. So they go to Jesus and they wake him up. They say, Master, we are perishing. We're perishing. So Jesus wakes up, they rouse him, he gets up and he rebuked the waves and the wind and he stills the storm. He calms their fears, he encourages them to have faith, but faith in him. So listen for that as I read verses 22 through 25. Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into the boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake when it says lake there, it's talking about the Sea of Galilee. You remember I told you that it's the lowest freshwater lake in the whole world? 699 feet below sea level. Uh, It's not a saltwater sea. It's a freshwater lake. That's what he's talking about to the other side of the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep and a fierce and a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake, or the Sea of Galilee, and they began to be swamped and in danger. Have y'all ever been in a boat? Anybody ever been in a boat that's swamping? Pretty scary, right? It's pretty scary. You think you're going to die, right? And so that's what's happening. But what's Jesus doing? He's asleep. He's asleep. He's a good sleeper, okay? They came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind, and the surging waves, and they stopped. They stopped. They didn't just slow down. They stopped. That's kind of crazy. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that commands even the wind and the waves? And they obey him. Who is this? They know who he is. It's Jesus, right? But they didn't know this about Jesus. It's like what is, this? what is this all about? Who is this that he commands even the wind and the waves, and they obey him? It's Jesus. Luke wants us to know that's who Jesus is. Luke wants us to know that's who Jesus is. Like the hymn that we sang earlier, you remember? Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all what? Nature. Right. And the last song, the Son of God, Son of Man, and the last song we sang, even the waves, the waves and the wind still know his waves in the wind Jesus still calming the storms of our lives it's not just back then it's for now he calms us and gives us peace now so that happened on the Sea of Galilee as they were traveling to a place called Gerasenes Gerasenes is on the east side of the sea the Sea of Galilee or the lake when they got there Jesus confronts and is confronted by evil There is a man who is possessed by not one, but many demons. And we'll get to that later, how many, okay? So Jesus being Jesus, exercises his authority. And that pun is completely intended, okay? He exercises his authority over evil and demonic forces by casting out or exercising many demons from this poor man. Now, when we read this, you guys are going to see this guy is a hot mess. And that's an understatement, okay? He is in bad shape. He's tormented, completely possessed, and oppressed. He has no peace, no calm, no self-control, no sanity at all. He has no life. That's this guy. He has no life. He's completely possessed and out of control. But again, Jesus does something about it. Jesus makes the difference. So let me read chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, and listen for that in. 26 through 40. Then they sailed to the country of, the, of um, Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So it's on the east side of the lake. And when he came onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, plural, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time. What a greeting, right? This guy is butt naked. <laughs> right? Naked as a jaybird. Jesus just got there, right? And he meets him at the shore. What in the world? Where, where are we here, right? Okay? And he's not even living in a house. He's living in the tombs. And this is not like the, um, the cemetery, the national cemetery where you go and it's just rows and rows perfectly of, of tombstones. This is more like outside of Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, they have these big mausoleums and they have these big vaults like go into the ground here. But they're on top of the ground. And sometimes what they do is they reuse tombs. People will decompose, and then they'll take the bones and put them in a smaller one because there's not much, a whole lot of land over there. And so they'll put them into a smaller thing. So that's where he's living. He's living amongst the dead. He's living amongst the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. That's almost exactly what the demons said to Jesus several chapters back. It's, it's very interesting how he says it. He says, what business do we have with each other, Jesus? Right? Son of the Most High God. And the demons even witness to who Jesus is. Like John the Baptist witnesses to who Jesus is? The demons do. Son of the Most High God. And then it says this. I, the demon says, the demons say, I beg you, do not torment me. Something that jumped out at me is that Jesus is not afraid of evil. Evil is afraid of Jesus you notice that? The demons are afraid of Jesus. The demons are afraid of Jesus. Verse 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man for it had seized him many times and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard and yet he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Now, think about that. This is not nylon paracord, okay? This is iron shackles and chains. People can't do that. It was evil power that possessed him, supernatural strength for him to be able to do that. This guy is just totally possessed by these demonic forces. Verse 30, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? This is really key. He says, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. In the Gospel of Mark, the counterpart to this story, he says, what is your name? And he says, legion, for we are many. That may be the version that you've heard before. But he says, for many demons have entered him. And I started thinking about it. I wonder how many. And then I thought, well, what about the name? Legion, right? So I Googled it, of course. I looked up, how many soldiers are in a legion? I said, almost 5,000. Is the name the key to how many demons? Well, we know it's more than two or three, right? Maybe 4,000. I don't know. But the name might, might have some actual meaning as to how many demons were possessing this guy and why he was in so such incredible bad shape. And they, the demons, were imploring him to command them to go away into the abyss. Uh, the definition of abyss is like a bottomless pit where you just fall and you never stop. You just falling and falling, falling. Did you know that there is no physical abyss around the Sea of Galilee? Not north, not south, not east, not west. There's no physical abyss. So it's not talking about a physical abyss. It's talking about a what? A spiritual abyss, which would be what? Hell. Like separate from God just falling in nothingness. This bottom nothing. Nothingness. Verse 32. Now there was a herd of swine feeding there on the mountains. And the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. Now, first of all, why would there be swine in Israel? Okay, Because this was not an area that was inhabited by Jews. This was on the east side of the lake. This was a Gentile area. You would not find herds of swine, like my my hog Wilbur. You remember Wilbur? You would not find herds of swine in Capernaum, or in Nazareth, or in Bethlehem, or in Gennesaret. You wouldn't find them there because the Jews have goats, and sheep, they're the, the hogs, they're unclean. And it's really interesting here. It says that um, they implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. Why did he give them permission? You know, I know that Jesus is compassionate, but is he like even having compassion on these demonic forces? I would, I would think not. But it's interesting to me that he said, okay, I won't throw you into the abyss, okay? We'll put you, we'll let you go into these swine. It's interesting. It's interesting. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine and the herd rushed down in the steep bank into the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and was drowned. Now you read that. The first thing you think is that's a waste of barbecue, right? That's what you're thinking. No, that's not what you're thinking. That's what I was thinking. I thought, no, that's a lot of pigs. And they just went in there and they drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. So note to self, okay? Wait a second, where am I? Okay. Okay. I lost myself. I lost myself. Oh, okay. I got to keep going. That's what I'm doing. Over here. Let me find it. Thank you very much, very much. So the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone out of, sitting down at the feet of Jesus clothed. Well, that's a good start, right? He's got some clothes on. That's a nice, we're getting getting somewhere, right? His clothes on and in his right mind. And they became frightened. That's weird to me. They're more frightened of him with clothes on and in his right mind than the way he was before. Well, they're not frightened. It's like they're frightened because of what happened. Who does that? Well, Jesus does that. Verse 36, those who had seen it reported them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with fear. They didn't ask the demon guy to leave. Who'd they ask to leave? Jesus. Yeah, because... Somebody that can do that. We don't want him around here, right? But even though he helped the man, they were gripped with fear and he got into the boat and returned, Jesus did. But the man from whom the demons had gone out, the demoniac, okay, had gone out, he was begging Jesus that he might accompany him. Lord, let me go with you. You've saved my life. Look what you do. He loved him much, right? Look what you've done for me. Please let me go with you. But Jesus says, no, he doesn't say no, but he says, he says this, he says, return to your house. And describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. He went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus has done for him. Okay, this was, this was a sort of a revelation for me. That is a great plan of action for all of us, isn't it? Isn't it? As Christians. That's a great plan for all of us to tell other people the great things that God has done for us. What a wonderfully positive yet simple way to share the Christian faith. Right? People come up to me all the time and they ask me, oh, Pastor John, I've got this friend and they're over here and they work here and stuff. And I just don't know how to share. How could I share Christ with them? How can I share my faith with them? And I'm, I'm thinking right here, well, here it is. This is a great way. Right here. This is it. This is how you can share your faith. Um, I could even give you the sentence. I could start the sentence for you. You start out when you're sharing with him. You say, I'm so thankful for God's presence in my life. The Lord has been so good in so many ways. And then you fill in the blanks. Yada, 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 yada. God did this for me. God did that for me. And the Lord taught me this. And my family was this, and this happened. Just tell them what God has done in your life. Your story. They can't argue with your story, right? They can't. It doesn't have to be stuff either it doesn't have to be an exorcism it can be little things it can be anything it can be anything just last week something like that happened to me after church i went home last week i did did a few things went home i was just sitting sort of chilling out and i'm looking at my phone and all of a sudden someone just like jumps into my mind i mean it was it was just weird it's just like they just came to my mind and it was like oh my goodness why am i thinking they don't go to our church i haven't seen them since september of last year But they were going through some difficulty, and so I thought, well, maybe the Lord's telling me something, you know? Maybe the Lord's telling me that. And this happens to me all the time. And so I texted them. I said, hey, just reaching out to you for some reason. I don't know why, some strange reason. You were on my mind, and I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you and thinking about you. If you need anything, let me know. Three hours later, I get a text back. They say, you're not going to believe this. Just this morning, I prayed and asked God for someone to reach out to us. I prayed and asked God for someone to reach out to me who could help me. Said, you're not going to believe this. I said, no, I can believe that because it happens. So just telling someone a story like that, it's not a creepy thing. It's like it's your story. You're like, wow, that really happened? Yes, I'm telling you it really happened. Last Sunday, that's what it happened. And I got together with them this week. Okay? So God does things like that. And some of the best ways we can share our faith and our love for the Lord is just to share these stories. Just to share these stories. Verses 40 through 42. It says this, and as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. The crowds, right? Crowd control. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him or to beg him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him so Jesus returns to Galilee to the west side of the sea the Jewish side uh, probably Capernaum or Gennesaret and they're waiting for him a lot of people are there but there's a man his name is Jairus he's an official of the synagogue it's probably Capernaum because like I told you there's ruins of synagogues there in Capernaum his 12 year old daughter was severely ill and she was close to death now she's not just dying she's dying of something Bear that in mind. There's something that's killing her. Peritonitis. I don't know what it could be. It could be anything. But she's dying of something and he's saying, she's about to die. So Jesus takes off to help Jerus. okay? He takes off. But the crowds want to see him also. So they're making it hard for him to get through. Do you know what that's like? Have you ever been to a rock concert, you know, down on the floor? You're just kind of like pushed wherever the crowd goes. It's kind of like that. He's having a hard time getting through. And then in verse 43 through 48, it says this, 43 through 48. And the woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately, immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. 12 years. You know what a hemorrhage is? It's something that just keeps oozing and weeping blood. It's a hemorrhage. It can be inside your body. It can be outside. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, they're all saying, oh, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. He says, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing it. In other words, he's saying, like, who's not touching you, right? I mean, everybody's all around. We can't tell somebody touched you. But this is a specific kind of touch. And Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware the power had gone out of me. The power had gone out of me. Then the woman saw... That she had, When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him, that is Jesus, and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, here it is, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And here again, like I pointed out lastly, this was not just faith in general. This was not her faith in herself. It was faith in who? faith in Jesus. She knew. You see, she knew. She was competent. She says, if, if I can just get to Jesus, he'll be the answer to what I need. She knew if I could just get to Jesus, and she tries, and she does, and he did. And she was made well immediately because of her faith in him. She just knew. and That was her faith. She knew that. So all of this happened while Jesus was on his way to help who? Jairus. And the daughter. So this is on the way, right? This is on the way. And then verse 49 tells us that while he was still speaking, he's still talking to the lady, your faith has made you well. Someone came from the house of Jairus, okay? Someone came from the house of Jairus and said, your daughter has died. Bad news, right? Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. Now, you would think, okay, you would think that that would be it, that Jesus and the disciples would offer their condolences and say, well, we're very sorry, you know, and then head back. But they don't. Jesus doubles down. And he says the most amazing thing in verse 50. It's very powerful. It's a statement of faith. Jesus says to Jairus and those that are with him, he says, Do not be afraid any longer. Don't be afraid anymore. Only believe, and she will be made well. He doesn't say, I'm going to raise her from the dead. He says, She will be made well because it was something that killed her, right? or something that killed her, she will be made well. And listen to what happens next. It's even more amazing in verses 51 through 56. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James. That's Jesus inner circle minus Andrew, right? And the girl's father and mother. That's all that he allowed. There may have been other people in there and there probably were, but as far as going in the house, that's all that he allows to go in. Now, they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, stop weeping. Why would he say stop weeping? Well, because he knew what was about to happen. He knew what he was going to do. But he says, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And the people who were laughing, I mean, the people who were weeping began laughing. That's what it says. They began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. They're like, we know when a person is dead, she wasn't breathing. She had no pulse. She's dead. But he, it says he, Jesus, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, child, arise. Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up immediately, and, she gave, and he gave orders uh, for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, well, I should say, right? Her parents were amazed, and he instructed them, this is important, to tell no one what had happened. He's already got crowd control problems, right? Don't tell anybody about this, because his time, his time had not come. He took her hand and said, child, arise. The Greek text that I looked up this week, it's hepes Egere. rise, and egere is in the imperative mood, which is command language. He wasn't suggesting, oh, would you get up, honey? no, no, rise, rise up. And her spirit returns to her. Why? Because she was dead. Her spirit was gone. Her spirit returned to her. She came back to life, and Jesus made sure that she got something to eat. Her parents were amazed. I would say that's an understatement, correct? Right? What would you do if it was your daughter? You'd be crazy joyful, right? You'd be dancing in the streets. She was dead, and now she is alive. Now she is alive. That's what I wanted to share with you this week about chapter 8 and the parable of the soils.